0: Good to be with you. It is ironic on a day when I will be talking about peacemaking that I have to begin by breaking up this peace giving that you guys are doing. But thanks for being with us this Labor Day weekend. We are finishing up this season, this series um, that we called Spiritual Practices of the Good Life. And we are on the second to last beatitude, Beatitude 7. So if you would read with me our text for today. It is one verse. We can put it up on the screen here. Let's read. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So one more time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The story of the Bible, the Bible story, begins with peace and ends with peace. Begins with peace, ends with peace, with a whole lot of brokenness in between. You can throw up that next slide. This is our our uh, schema, our model of brokenness, which is holistic. Brokenness is complicated. It involves sin, the work of the enemy, Satan, trouble, and trauma. So it begins with peace, ends with peace, but a whole lot of brokenness in between. And that's the world that we live in, in that that mess in the middle. Uh, Just this week, I heard uh, somebody say that Uh, his experiences, that we are either currently in some sort of conflict, that we've just come out of some sort of conflict, and if not one of those two, that we are about to head into some sort of conflict. So happy Sunday morning. That's my encouragement for you today. Um, We're either in a conflict, coming out of it, heading into it. Sometimes, These conflicts, that brokenness, it might just be the little unwanted blips in our day, but sometimes those conflicts alter the course of our lives. September 1 is National Forgiveness Day. I did not know this. I found this out last week. I actually don't know how those committees work, like national... (laughs) ice cream day and all that stuff but National Forgiveness Day seems like a significant one and this uh, in the last few weeks a short documentary was released on the 30th anniversary of the St. James Massacre that happened in Cape Town in South Africa in 1993 Uh, if you haven't heard that story um, this is Significant moment in uh, that season in South Africa on a cold winter night in July, July 25th in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, there was a Sunday evening service. This young duo get up to sing, and as people tell, this documentary, it's a 15-minute documentary you can find on, on YouTube. People tell that there's people that were sitting in the front said they thought they heard firecrackers in the back of of the uh, the sanctuary Um, and it turned out that two gunmen opened fire and in 30 seconds 30 seconds 58 people were critically injured 11 people died and later they found out that these gunmen had taped six inch nails to grenades to maximize the damage in 30 seconds there was devastation if you watch this documentary, which I do recommend, it's about this topic of being peacemakers, being reconcilers. One of the church members tells the story. He remembers coming into a room and seeing a father with his three teenage sons. And I actually have a newspaper clipping picture. And it's kind of hard to see, but at the very bottom left is the family I'm talking about. So this father with his teenage uh, kids, um, he, 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 uh, this, this man says, I came in and I saw this father. He huddles around his three kids and he says, I need you to stay right here because I need to take your mother to the hospital. Please stay right here. Do not move. I'll be back in a few hours. And this guy observing this is just taken back. A few minutes later, the father returns and looks at his kids, holds them in his arms and says, your, your mother has died. And as he says these words, this again, this witness says, and then within seconds, the the news anchors put a camera in front of this man's face and says, "Um, what do you have to say about this moment? And this witness says, I was taken back because this man took a deep breath and he looked straight into the camera and he said, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you've done this. You've taken away from me, my wife. You've taken away from my kids, their father, their mother, sorry. Taken away from my kids, their mother. And then he paused and he said, but I want you to hear that in the name of Jesus Christ, I do forgive you. And I want to ask yourself to turn yourself in. We hear stories like that, and it it can hit us in the gut. And it also, possibly, we can feel a little removed from it. Stories of forgiveness, Uh, C.S. Lewis has a great line. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, right? To hit maybe closer to home for you this week, this month, this year, a friend who betrayed you. Or a spouse that seems estranged or is estranged from you. Maybe a grown child who, who dishonors you. A boss who continues to shame you. A coworker who's slandering you. A mother who hurts you. This idea of peacemaking. Everyone would like to look at that and say, yes, that's a lovely idea. Until we are the ones who are called to make the peace. And that can go in larger scales, speak up for injustice around us, whether it is racial injustice, power injustice, vulnerable be taken advantage of. In your workplace, entering into a ethically ambiguous situation, conversation and saying, no, I think this is actually right. Or even to have the character, the integrity, when you see two of your friends who might need help to get them together and say, hey, can 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 we have a conversation? Is everything all right between the two of you? I've been noticing some things. Van Wyck, uh, sorry, I just dropped that name. One of the guys in that um, in that documentary that I mentioned, his name was Van Wyck. He says, he reminds us that we are ambassadors of reconciliation in the documentary. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 18, in which he says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us something. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In a world marked by brokenness, we have a ministry of reconciliation. In a world fragmented, we are to be Ministers of Wholeness. And I want to remind you the, the, uh, the pictures. Remember the pictures that we had that our friend Tori Quill, one of our artists, drew for each beatitude? Uh, this is the one that she chose for, uh, f- for this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. In this story that begins with peace and that ends with peace, in the mess, we are to be ministers of wholeness in a fragmented world. And she chose this uh, this picture of someone putting back together a broken pot, which I think is a rep- reference to Japanese kitsugi, which is taking what's broken, using gold, and putting back together um, a pot. So thank you, Tori, Tori Quill, for this beautiful picture. By the way, I was just thinking as I wrote this down, you married into the name Quill. What a perfect, I know you thought of that. I didn't. My wife married into the name Jones, which is not much of a gift, but thank you for your, your, your Quill Quill gift. That's a beautiful picture. As we are ministers of wholeness. So we're ministers of wholeness. We are the, the peace corps, so to speak, the peacemakers Dallas Willard, one of the godfathers of kind of modern and recent decades, godfathers of spiritual formation. He, it's, this is his opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. I feel like it resonates with me. We said this before. He says that a mark of the height of Christian maturity is to be able to spontaneously respond to enemies who are hurting us with love. But that's like the height of maturity. It's a beautiful picture. And again, a lovely idea. Until it's required of us. So how do we do this? Well, I have news. I'm not, I don't feel like it's great news or bad news. It's just news. But I think becoming peacemakers comes through at least these three things. I might have a slide for this. Yes. It comes through pain. It comes through power beyond ourselves. And I think it comes through practices. Pain. It comes through suffering. It comes through feeling pain, through seeing pain, entering into pain, learning how to deal with pain in a healthy way. It does come through power. It has to come through power. If we are to be ambassadors of the peace of God, we have to have a, a power, the power of God. But I wanted to draw this uh, this cycle to make sure that we don't Just think that the answer to be peacemakers is to cry out to God and say, give me the power. Now, sometimes that is sufficient and it's always necessary. But though it's necessary, there might be something more. And Jesus concludes his sermon after he gives us this manifesto of what it is to be, to have the heart of Jesus and to have Christ-like, a Christ-like beatitudinal heart. He concludes his sermon, and this was our framing for our whole summer series, with, uh, with this line at the end of his sermon in Matthew 7. Do you remember this one? Everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock because I know that spontaneously responding to those who hurt me is not my instinct. I'm gonna need to practice that with you all, with my church family, with the power of God. So we today are gonna talk about the pains of peacemaking, the problems that are involved with peacemaking. Uh, We're gonna talk about the power for peacemaking and we're gonna hopefully, Spend some time actually practicing peacemaking. I will give you possibly homework, but I don't want to just give you homework. I want us to practice peacemaking here. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Jesus, I ask that today you would be our peace. For those of us here who need peace, even before we talk about being peacemakers, would you meet us here today? And then would you call us to what you have for us? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ministers of wholeness. I recognize that I've already used like seven synonyms for this. And I think part of it is because uh, peace, if you remember, Ben Arnold, one of our teaching elders, taught on, on this beatitude. And this, this word peace, which the Hebrew word is it's not a strange word, a lot of you are familiar with it called shalom. This word shalom is very rich. It's a very rich word and Ben drew up uh, this, uh, this diagram or just listed all of the ways that, especially the Old Testament talks about shalom. That shalom carries all of these ideas. It's, it's, uh, it carries all of this, wait, look at it. Shalom can talk about completeness, mutual flourishing, prosperity, just doing well, ah, oh, shalom. Healthy relationships all my relationships are shalom i have good relationships healing safety satisfaction sleep even some of you want some shalom for your sleep salvation this is this is the word um, that is that is used when we when we say peace. It's this very holistic word. So put all these words together, and in the middle there, we're gonna we're gonna say that at the heart of this world there is this spiritual, there is relational and physical wholeness. That everything that that shattered feeling goes into all of us, all parts of our like body, our mind, our heart, and. The shalom that God wants for us is for all of it. Cornelius Plantinga says that shalom, God's peace, is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. And then Ben Arnold gave us a great definition Of what it means then to be a peacemaker and that a peace that peacemaking is active participation in God's ministry of restoring people to relational wholeness with him and with another one another and hopefully even just lingering on that right there a good definition gives us this like sense of oh This is something ultimately that God is going to do. We're going to participate with him. But like I said, as we get into peacemaking, very quickly, we're going to start experiencing the pain, the the problems of peacemaking. So I'm just going to list a few. I'd really recommend if this is something that the spirit stirs up in you. Ben, I listened to a few teachings and read a bunch of things. And our our brother who taught on this a few months ago did an excellent job. If If you need help, And I don't mean just help understanding. If by the end you're like, I need help with my heart, go back to some of what Ben said. I'm gonna recap some of this, give you a few other things, but I encourage you to go back to that. The pains or the problems with peacemaking, the first one, and this is my my terminology, is that peace faking is easier than peacemaking. It's a lot easier. Peace faking is easier easier than peacemaking. Basically, let's say that we're fine, and then that way we don't have to deal with not being fine. Now, that's true in every area. That's true like politically. That's true globally. That's true racially. That's true relationally. That's true within the church. In fact, I cut it and I still want to say it. There's a line in Jeremiah, I think eight, or no, it might be six, that there's, there's this um, there's this lament, and it's and I feel like it's a lament that can be applied politically, racially, to injustice, but also personally, where it says you, there's a cry. People that people are saying, oh, what's the line? I'm, I'm messing up now. Peace, peace. Do you know what, Michelle? Peace, peace. The people cry, peace, peace, when there is no peace, and they're rebuking those who call what is not peaceful, peaceful. So I cut that for a reason. I probably should have let it be, but still, there's... There's that line in Jeremiah 6 that, that gets me. What happens when we call things, when we say that something is right, when it's not right? What happens when we, when we, when we call what is broken peaceful? Uh, Patrick Lencioni has this great little term. He says this often happens in organizations this uh, or in family um, relationships. Just think about the, the, your family of origin. There's this... Uh, this phenomenon of artificial harmony where members of a group in some ways decide okay for the sake of this just working let's all pretend that everything's okay because if I was the one who's going to be a whistleblower it's all going to blow up I'm going to get in trouble and so we all can get into different group dynamics where we partake in something called artificial harmony and then Lencioni says this and I have this quote this is kind of Kind of scary, but he says, nowhere does this tendency toward artificial harmony show itself more than in mission driven nonprofit organizations, most notably churches. People who work in those organizations tend to have a misguided idea that they cannot be frustrated or disagreeable with one another. And what they're doing is confusing being nice with being kind. Patrick Lencioni. And I could do, this could be and should be, and we have talked about this in other spaces, uh, a whole kind of seminar on this. But this is often why many churches fall apart, go bad, go rotten. Because when you all say, hey, we're doing God's work, it's so easy to overlook or to say, I'm not gonna confront that thing that rubbed me the wrong way, or that leader who probably shouldn't have said that. And in a in a place where we say let's let's let let's let's just say that things are right when they're not right. When you have this this uh, this grand vision that God has given us, it's really dangerous. That over time wounds can fester. Organizations, churches become unhealthy. People become isolated, hurt, and guarded. Harm, they become harmed. They become harmful people. And I believe that this epidemic of so many churches where it looks like the churches were doing super well and then suddenly it all fell apart is because of this artificial harmony that we really have to watch out for. So we need to be peacemakers. This can even relate to you just on an MC level. It doesn't have to be like the big, but on an MC level, are we able to be the kind of people that say, hey, can I... Um, I like to use a little little phrase, mind for conflict with you. I, I just feel like there's a little something that came up that. Would you give me permission to like go into to whatever that was right there? Second, one of the problems or one of the pains with peacemaking is simply, this is just a reality, that sometimes in a relationship, two-way peace is not necessarily possible. There's my side of the street that I have to work on. And then there's wherever this other, other person is. And sometimes peace is not possible. Just this week, I was talking to a friend uh, who lives in Eastern Europe where I used to live. And we came up with this little, um, this little equation here. Uh, he, he wanted help with this. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily equal trust. Trust. And boundaries don't necessarily equal unlove. Now, again, big concepts, and I uh, and, uh, try to talk about really briefly. But forgiveness, when I am forgiving somebody that harmed me, that does not, so often we might think that that now means that we have to have a restored relationship where now I can trust that people in the future. That's not necessarily true. You might recognize that this person over here is not a trustworthy person. And so you might not actually continue um, with them. That doesn't mean that we're not called to participate in the act of forgiveness, that we aren't even called to participate in peacemaking or boundaries with that same person. Boundaries do not necessarily mean that I'm not being loving. By establishing boundaries for me or people around me, that's not an act of unlove. Another way to even put it for that first one, forgiveness doesn't necessarily even mean ongoing relationship with people. It, you might not actually continue in relationship, but we're still called to have the heart of somebody who would desire who would desire reconciliation if possible. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that for the first time I read a verse in 2 Timothy 4:14 4, and 15 that I, I just thought was just a little throwaway and it deeply ministered to me. And this is the verse. You ready for it? Alexander the coppersmith, that's kind of fun to say. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. That's Paul writing to Timothy. He's trying to help Timothy on this this in this uh he's getting ready to go on this journey of becoming an elder and pastor and Paul at the end of his letter says oh by the way there is a man who did me great harm and I want you to warn I want to warn you about him you might need to set some boundaries and by the way God will make sure that justice happens in the end that might be a verse for some of us. If you've been spinning in like a relationship that you're not sure, like, how do I work through this? What do I need to do? It might be, uh, you can go back to my addendum on the next slide. Healthy boundaries are always loving. Because if Alexander the coppersmith came to Timothy and is like, what, what's, what's going on, man? Like, why are, you not, why are you not engaging? And Timothy's like, well, let's go get coffee. Let's go talk. Paul sent me this letter. Paul sent me this letter said, you did him great harm. If Alexander the coppersmith was able to respond to those boundaries in a healthy way, well, then redemption can come. That's how that that works. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean ongoing relationship. But can you see how being called to peacemaking is super messy and complicated and painful? Two-way forgiveness isn't always possible and a lot more to be said about that and if you need to talk about that with someone which you probably do reach out to your dna reach out to your mc leader reach out to to me or one of the leaders another pain another problem with peacemaking is that we grew up in an environment that taught us this is how you deal with conflict and very likely you didn't get an awesome example very likely you learned at home um, some way of dealing with conflict that is distorted. And your parents modeled it between themselves if you had two parents. Um, You you saw it modeled in the way they dealt with kids. To kind of oversimplify it, um, you probably saw either the fighting approach modeled or the flighting approach modeled, right? Or uh, instead of peace making, you saw peace managing happen, right? Where uh, the dad or the mom or whoever wears the pants or says, this is family fun time, let's be done with these and let's, let's all have a happy day, right? It's, fa- it's peace, peace managing. Or back to the peace peace faking, you had people where it okay, things are getting rough, kind of tense up, but let's brush this under the rug and and continue on so you were you were given something you were you had you had something modeled, and we have to work through that. we have to go through and, and recognize, oh this my tendency, the way I deal with um, with conflict, is inherited there's going to be some some undoing that's that's uh, that's needed. The the fourth one is kind of like a duh. It's like conflict is uncomfortable. And you're like, yeah, no kidding, Sherlock. Um, it's normal in a broken world, right? Despite the messiness of peacemaking, it's needed. Conflict, in, and, and I feel like this is duh, but I feel like it also just needs to be said. Conflict in marriage and friendship and in our church communities is normal. Is normal, it's needed. Whenever you have broken people in relationship, you're going to have conflict and tension. Now I gave already a lot of, a lot of disclaimers. A lot of times there's like really broken aspects of that conflict, but sometimes, again, I don't want to oversimplify, people leave marriages, leave friendships, leave churches because they haven't learned how to deal with conflict well, and they just think this isn't actually supposed to happen, when sometimes that conflict is needed. It's normal. Conflict is God's way of exposing our hearts so that he can heal us. Conflict is needed. Now I did, uh, again, I, I told you, I gave you all disclaimers. That was like 10 minutes of things that need like whole seminars in. But just quickly, pause, look at these four things. You can go back. Look at these four things and maybe make a note. Where are you at? What do you need to be reminded of? And if that recognition <clears throat> brings you to say, I need help, good. That's... Uh, that leads us to our second point, power for peacemaking. Thomas Merton has a line. He says, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. So to be peacemakers, we need to have had an encounter with the peacemaker. And we might need peace to recognize that without ongoing relationship, daily communion with the peacemaker, it's impossible. Again, from from Ben, who taught on this, some uh, some reminders from what we looked at in the spring. Jesus' uh, use of this word peacemaker is the only time we get peacemaker as a noun in the entire New Testament, and the only time that we get peace making as a verb is in this passage in Ephesians 2 how does Jesus make peace this is what Paul says but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus, and here's the only time we get the verb, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them, both of those groups, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And I want to recap again what Ben said in, in the spring, that the power for peacemaking, what Jesus accomplished on the cross will give us at least three things. We get God's presence as we receive his peace. We get God's justice and we get God's healing. And Ben said, uh, most of us are really familiar with that phrase in Matthew 18 that says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am among them, you familiar with that? But I remember, I remember recognizing uh, when Ben said this, that that's taken out of context. The context, we usually use that in the context of going to a church gathering. And if you used it for that, it's okay. It's fine, you're forgiven, and it is probably true. But that is not the context that Jesus meant it in. The context is reconciliation. And so here's the thing. As we engage through the power of the peacemaker in making peace with other, Jesus says there's a unique presence of God that you get. When two or three are gathered to make peace, there I am with them which is powerful. He's always with us. Hallelujah, Don. Uh, and this was Ben's quote. So that was funny. Though Jesus does say in other places that when you gather together as a church, he is there. Um, in this context, he's, he's not saying, hey, if you really want to have a felt, like manifest thickness of my presence... Get together and sing some songs. Totally, totally often happens. But he's saying, if you want to have my felt presence, be a peacemaker. I will be there with you. Move towards the mess with people and you'll find me. Second, this is really important. Through the power, only through the power of God do we recognize that there is going to be justice. That justice that we want, that pain that we're feeling when we're engaging in peacemaking Jesus cares about justice. And on the cross, when God looks at Jesus on the cross, he says, I'm fully satisfied for Jesus's payment for sin. The blood sin demanded has has been given. There is justice. This is so absolutely critical. Here in a second, I'm gonna ask us to do an audit of our own relationships, which is like one of the most scary things you can do. I'm about to ask you to do that. But it is incredibly important that as we go through our relationships and begin to ask Jesus, okay, help me engage with forgiveness, that I start with understanding the justice that Jesus accomplished and promised on the cross. Because whether it's going to involve me, this is just some of the options. Sometimes conflict happens and really what I'm called to do is just overlook a very minor offense in love. And that's it. But I'm in a need to remember a God of justice. Sometimes there's a minor offense, and I'm like, "I'm not sure what I need to do about this." And maybe the answer is, "Well, then wait. Wait on the spirit. But patience is very difficult without the justice of God. Sometimes, we're going to be called to confront someone who is causing chaos or clearly sinning against us. Sometimes we're gonna be called to a long obedience that's gonna take years for us to heal and for us to to continue to seek, what's the right thing for me to do in this relationship? with that, and I'm giving you again some tools as we're about to engage in this practice, I give you the serenity prayer, which you're probably familiar with at least in part it's like on a lot of little plaques in people's homes it's actually a powerful prayer written by a guy named Reinhold Niebuhr and this is the prayer the part that you're probably familiar with it's powerful it says God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference I want to pause that's familiar but that is powerful think about it in terms of relationships god grant me the serenity to just accept the things that happened you really need that but then also the courage there might be something i need to do with this relationship but i'm going to need a lot of wisdom to know the difference but then this year for the first time in my life i realized that's not the end of it's actually a comma do you see the comma that's not a mistake Listen to this, family. This is amazing. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Leave that up for a second. So God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Think about that relationally. And then we need this. So that one day at a time, as I'm navigating these relationships, I would take the world as it is, not as I would have it, So I see the way things are, trusting that you will make all things right. And we know he will because he he already sent his son to begin that process. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life, which is actually great. I feel like when people ask you, how are you doing? Instead of fine, you should say, I'm reasonably happy. (laughs) In light of everything, everything. But but what? Reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and ever. Amen. God does not want you to try to settle for peace without recognizing his justice. He would never ask that of us. He will make all things right. Last piece. So I said, God's presence, God's justice. God's healing. I'm gonna do a little less teaching on this because we just need to recognize that some of us just need healing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. If you would, let let me, me, I'm not finished, but I am going to pray for us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we need healing. We've already kind of waded into relational problems that we have. We've waded into the fracturing of the peace. And we ask that you would be our healer, that we trust you to be our healer that we recognize that we need you as our healer and that it's okay to be needy for you to heal us. That it's not something to be ashamed of that we need healing. That it's not something to avoid, dismiss, or minimize to say, but it's it's okay. That happens to others. Others have it worse. No, we need your healing. As we engage with Jesus in the The pains of peacemaking, as we partake with him, as we recognize his presence, trust in his justice, receive his healing, he will empower us. He's glad to give us power to be ambassadors of peace. Corey Timboom, one of my heroes who She's one of those who by pain, by practices in some of the most difficult circumstances, and by power was able to be a conduit of reconciliation and an ambassador of peace. And if you don't know her story, if you have no idea who she is, she was, she, uh, was um, a survivor of concentration camps in, in Germany during World War II. She had spent years harboring, providing a place Protection for Jews. And the story I want to tell you before we engage in the practices, it's the last story, is what happened to her in 1947, so after the war, when she was giving a speaking engagement in Munich. And I'm going to read and kind of tell, read, tell. <clears throat> she says that she looked up and a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat with a brown felt hat approached her and she says one moment i saw the overcoat and the brown hat and the next a blue uniform with a visored cap with its skull and crossbones flashed in front of my eyes so she's like kind of going she's describing that she's kind of going into shock because Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. She describes it the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Her sister's name is Betsy. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And the man that was walking towards me had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me and his hand came out and he said, a fine message, Fräulein Tenboom. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. So obviously he doesn't know who she is. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. <coughs> he went on to say, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And Corey Temboon says, "I stood there, and I could not. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death simply for the asking?" She says, "Still, I stood there." with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Pause, do you see the, that circle of like, okay, I'm gonna practice something I know I need to do and I need some power, my heart is not in this. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes, and I was able to say, I forgive you, brother. I cried, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard and former prisoner. I can say I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Remember the presence of God as we engage and reconciliation. And so what I want us to do, and we're trying to get better at this as a family, is I want us to practice that right now. I do wanna recognize again, I said it hopefully a bunch of times, but probably not clearly enough for a couple of you. This is complicated, you might need some help that's beyond just this room. But I do want us to engage right now in, in three simple practices. I want us to do a relational audit and then we're gonna engage in confession and then we're gonna engage in forgiveness. And this will all be just you by yourself, no sharing in the room, okay? In case you were worried. But if you would, you can kind of settle in and kind of get more comfy. Uh, I'd encourage you, if it helps, you can grab your phone to write notes or if you have a pen and paper, do that. If it's better for you just to do it in your mind, that's okay, but I would encourage you to write, write some of this down. So get comfortable. So let's start with that relational audit. You can make a list of people that you know that you have broken relationship with. I want to encourage you to avoid immediately analyzing or planning, or asking, oh, which one is it? The serenity to accept, the courage, I don't know. Don't do that just yet. Just first have the courage today to to just write down the names that come to mind where you're like, there's broken relationship there. Okay, I'm gonna give you a couple seconds for that. And I just, I wanna ask you to do a really brave thing. Ask yourself if you are willing for God to make these relationships right? That's going on for a really long time. Ask yourself if you're willing, because what I mean by that is you don't have to go down. You can come back together with your DNA partner and say, I actually do want to work through. Do I need to engage in this? But just for today, ask yourself, am I willing, if God would, if there was a way to make these relationships right? Maybe add a little note to that next to those names. And last thing on this audit, just for today, is just to put a little star next to any of those pieces where you're like, I think I need more healing here. That's that'll be enough work for today because that's a whole lot of homework out of that. But today we're pausing and saying, I think I need more healing. So next to that list, next to those names, ask yourself, do I need healing? Next, we're going to engage together, each of us individually, but together in confession. Though there might be real hurt on the other side, we're going to start with us. Confession, Adele Calhoun says, is a process whereby the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me. Confession involves admitting to God my natural propensity to rationalize, deny, blame, self-obsess, self-pity. Maybe pray Psalm 139. In these relationships, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting And again, a lot of homework with that. But maybe just for today, confess in those relationships. Here's here's what I already see. And thirdly, and lastly, we're gonna I'm gonna actually invite you to engage at least in taking a little baby step of forgiveness today. Now, forgiveness m- most commonly is a marathon. It is, like I said, a long obedience. And remember, forgiveness does not mean that I'm going to re-enter into a relationship with potentially someone I don't need to, or even say that I trust that person. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, one of his last books was on forgiveness, and he says that there, there are not two kinds of forgiveness, but there are two aspects or stages to it. One could say that the first must always happen and the second might happen. And the first step is, it's just attitudinal forgiveness. It's like, what is my posture towards the other person? And that can happen regardless of reconciliation. But reconciliation cannot happen unless attitudinal forgiveness has happened first. And so what we're doing today is just attitudinal forgiveness forgiveness. It's just the posture of my heart. So maybe a simple question that you might even want to start with with that list is, do I even want to forgive? If the answer is no, then your prayer is simple. God, help me want to want to forgive. And for today, maybe write down one next step. And possibly, I'll encourage you, it's probably not to go to that person. It might be to go to your to a dear friend, to a DNA partner, if you're in a DNA, and someone in your MC or a pastor and say, hey, I'm going to need some help on this journey of forgiveness. All right. I know that was a little bit painful. It's a little bit of a challenge, but that's what we're here for today was to practice the good life. I, uh, I Googled what forgiveness does to the brain? Because I was like in the middle of my stuff and I was like, there's gotta be some stuff on this. And sure enough, though we know that for people like Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, even people like Mother Teresa, being peacemakers cost them dearly. Sometimes their lives. So when I say the good life of peacemaking, I don't mean, it might cost us our lives. But do you know what peacemaking and forgiveness does to your body? Neuroscientists, they, they're, they don't, they're not telling you why, they just tell you what happens. If you Google what forgiveness does to the brain, you're gonna get stuff from John Hopkins, Harvard Health, Psychology Today and like 15 other with, with titles like the neurobiology of forgiveness, the functional neuroanatomy of forgiveness or forgive, forgive, your health depends on it. And all of them say the same thing. We can't exactly say why, but forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression, anxiety, it eradicates hostility, it lowers the risk of heart attack, and it leads people to contentment, gratitude, and serenity. It's really messy, but it makes us whole. Somehow Jesus knew. Let's pray and then we're gonna come to the table. Jesus, thank you that in this messy world, you are our Prince of Peace. Not some distant prince from a fairy tale,